Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Some People Call That Jesus. We're going into another topic here that I find very important and that's been very impactful for me, and it really goes to a core issue about understanding who God is and looking at a couple characteristics of his that sometimes that when we don't understand them or don't know the truth about these characteristics of God can almost seem contradictory at times with each other, which would be a very bad thing and discredit the Bible a lot. So we need to look at these things and how they are balanced with one another, particularly with in terms of judgment and mercy, which are two characteristics of God and things that he delights in and exercises and shows towards humanity and understanding them a little bit more and sparking the study and interest in this so that you dive into it further. So we're looking at God as the judge and the role of judgment and the role of mercy just a little bit and how they balance with each other and how God relates to each of these. So what we're looking at at first is God as the judge. And I want you to picture kind of this scenario as the as the starting point to try as much as possible to put yourself in this mindset, trying to be as objective and neutral as possible in this to um, and then looking at the evidence. And what I mean is, I say picture this, I was thinking about it this way as I was learning this recently, is that maybe I'm, I'm someone, I don't know if God exists or whatever the truth is, and there's all these different religions and spiritualities and beliefs. And I thought, just picturing this information here, what if I discovered for the first time that there was one true God that does exist, that created us? And not only this God that exists and created us, but he's ruler over us. He's ruler of heaven and earth. And most specifically as well, I find out that he's also the judge. So not only has he created humanity, he's this judge weighing our actions and bringing things into a decision or a judgment. What would, what would be my first reaction? What would be some of the evidence I would look for? What are some of the questions I would ask? Okay, there's, there is a God that exists. He's the creator of mankind, but he's also the judge of us. What does that mean? What is he like? What kind of decisions will he make towards us depending on our condition and what we've done to wrong him or being a judge, what we've done to break his law, etc. So let's begin to unfold it from that perspective. You just found out God exists. He's ruler of heaven and earth and he's also judge. What is this person like? What is this God like? Because that'll have a huge bearing on my destiny and my life myself. So part of the context, which we've maybe touched on in previous episodes, but God says, you're discovering more about God, you've discovered his Bible, you're learning about this, and God says humanity is lost, that we've fallen short of the standard and the law that he set for us. That comes out of Romans 3.23, where it says, there's no difference with people, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've fallen short of the standard that he expected us to live by or that he set for us primarily to have a uh, relationship and fellowship with him. It's not just some arbitrary set of rules that God has determined for us to follow that we're punished if we fall short. He's based these laws off of his own character and his own nature. And since he can't change, he sets those for us and works with us and empowers us so that we can have a life and fellowship with him because that's why he created us is for that relationship with him. And if we fall short of that and he can't change, then there's a disruption in the relationship and it can't really happen. So that's why he calls us to this standard and this law. So, okay, here I am understanding with this word he's given, this Bible called God's word, that humanity has all fallen short. We've fallen short of the standard of his law and we're lost and need saving. And in addition to that, there's also this verse that talks about everything will be brought into judgment. God is not only our creator, he's this judge over heaven and earth. 
And the verse for that that we're going to look at, you can look up Romans 3.23 on your own as well. But this is Ecclesiastes 12.14. It's the very last verse in the book of Ecclesiastes, kind of in the middle of the Bible here. And it says this. This is Ecclesiastes has looked through the life of human beings and all the different major categories and situations we encounter. And it says this about the end of all things. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And again, just for this exercise or this learning or this study, I was trying to be as objective as possible, trying to put myself in the shoes of anyone encountering this information, especially for the first time. And again, we're, we're operating from the premise here of you, you never knew what the truth was, if there was a life beyond this one, etc., and you just found out there's a one true God that he's a judge, that he's a ruler, that he's our creator, and you want to know, what is he like? Is he a good God? Is he a bad God? What does this mean for my life and the implications of it? So we see here that one, him being the judge, which we'll expand on in a second, is that he's, God is going to bring our deeds into judgment. And this is a theme throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament, that a time will come where God has to judge our actions, to reward the good, to punish the evil. That's about as straightforward as it gets. And it says every hidden thing, Nothing's hidden from God. He will see the good and the evil taking place, and every individual will need to give an account, which is a very serious warning, of course, but as we go deeper into this lesson of judgment and mercy and God's role in all of this and what he teaches us about himself and our situation, we're going to understand the encouragement that comes out of this as well. But again, this is a theme from the beginning of the Bible to the end about there'll be a time where all of our deeds are called into judgment and that it's unavoidable for people and we will stand as individuals and what will be our case at that time. So that's there in Ecclesiastes 12, 14. One thing to add to understand God's role, again, you're trying to understand who is this God, what's his role, what does his own word say about him. We go to the New Testament, to the book of James, and I'm turning over there right now. It's James 4, verse 12. And we're going to look, it's just a, a brief um, passage here kind of elaborating on this, giving us the character of God, his role in all things in relation to man as well. So thinking that God will call things into judgment, it says here in James 4.12, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? And it's talking about judging one another, looking down on one another. But the main part I want to grab out for this lesson is about God as the judge. There's one lawgiver and one judge. God created this law to match his character, to match his nature, so that we can have a relationship with him, so that we knew how to and what the standard and level was. And there's also a judge. So he gives the laws, and then he's the one who interprets and upholds that law. Um, the Bible says that God delights in justice. He wants to see things brought out justly. He judges the world with equity. And you can't get more fair and direct than him saying he's looking at every deed, rewarding the good, punishing the evil. He's a just judge that has to follow his own law that he has set. Otherwise, he wouldn't be just. He wouldn't be a good judge. And of course, we know that God is goodness. He is perfect. So if you're finding out this image of God, he's the judge. He follows his law. It's perfect equity, perfect justice that he's following. And he's upholding his own law and bringing every person's actions into account. So we're getting a little bit more idea of this role of God and how it's the implications for you. So some of the questions that are generated in my mind, again, approaching this like someone to say, okay, so what's the deal here? This is God's role. He's the one true God. 
you know, what's my situation? What hope is there for me? How do I stand with him? And the question I came up with to expand upon this is, does the judge want the lost to be saved? It says, all humanity has fallen short, back in Romans 3.23. By our own decision, we have strayed from what God had given to us and made out of us and prepared for us. So we've strayed at our own accord. So does this judge, who will bring good and evil actions into account, does he want the lost, which is all of humanity according to his word, to be saved? Because if this is the truth, you absolutely want to know what does the judge desire because he has a big influence and final decision over my life. And the answer is absolutely yes. All of these points are important for this lesson here, but I really want this to hit home. I think, honestly, this is the one that I'm most passionate about. Does God, the judge, want everyone to be saved, or does he even want some to be saved? It's an absolute yes. And there's a few verses here that I can post later so that you can have them down. But I put a lot of verses for this one just because anyone hearing this, I want them to be absolutely sure of what the Bible says in relation, does God want the lost to be saved? The first verse is 2 Peter 3, 9. And it says this in the second half of the verse. He, that is God, is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So he wants everyone to turn back, to come to repentance. Every single person, and that everyone, all, that's going to be the theme that we see through these verses. He's not just saying he wants some people that he likes more than others to turn. He says, no, he wants everyone to not die, but to repent and to come back, to turn back from their ways. Second verse to add with that, it's 1 Timothy, a few pages before that in your Bible, 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 6. And it says this, 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 6, and it says, This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. There it is again, wants all men to be saved. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. Again, repeated in there twice, God's expressed will. He wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And then it goes on to say, Jesus was given as that ransom to buy us back from our condition, and he was given so that all men could be bought back and saved. So with at least just with that verse, or that in Second Peter, which you just read, so far there is no doubt that God wants all men to be saved. Not that he will make the choice for us or violate our free will. He gives that choice to us. But it's very clear what God desires out of our situation. As the judge who will bring all of our actions into account, remember. Remember, we just discovered that God exists and he's judging our actions, but we're also learning he wants everyone to be saved, and he's made a way to do so. But continuing, is there any more evidence of it? Titus, continuing a few pages, Titus chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared once again to all men. So it's talking about the grace, this gift of salvation that God has given. He is making sure that it is appearing and has appeared to all men trying to make everyone have the choice to be saved, have the choice for mercy, which is the topic we're developing into about the judge chooses mercy. So he desires everyone to be saved, and this gift of salvation, he's making sure that it appears to all men. So that term of all humanity coming up again. But still, another verse. I have to have another verse because, again, I'm so passionate about this, and I never want it to be misconstrued if God wants people to be saved or not. 
because you might not think it. You might be in a position where you've been a Christian your long time or your whole life, and you may think and be secure in that fact, but there's some people that think God doesn't want them or they're not good enough or they've done too many bad things and it's too late, I can't turn back, etc. I want to I want to squash that argument today, squash those thoughts today that that's absolutely not true. God wants all men to be saved and he's made a way for all men to be saved. So a verse we're adding with this is Romans 8:32. And it says this, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not along with him graciously also give us all things? Once again, speaking of giving Jesus his son for us, it says for us all. If he's willing to do that, how will he not give us all things? He's already given us Jesus. Still there in Romans, I say this, the judge says mercy. The one who has the ability to judge, to bring our decisions and actions into account, has chosen mercy. Romans 11.32, a few pages over, it says this, For God has bound all men, again this theme, all men, all humanity, over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Meaning God didn't force us to disobey. Meaning he saw us going into disobedience. He left us to our own choices, not violating our free will. And we've gone into disobedience. But he had a plan of salvation in place, the Bible says, even before humans were created knowing that we would stray and go into disobedience, knowing that we all would fall and that sin would permeate through this world. And he said, God's plan was, okay, they've gone off into disobedience, but I've made a way to have mercy on all of them. Again, this word all is probably the most important word or one of them in this lesson. God's made a way for all of us to receive of this mercy. And this mercy comes through the life of Jesus. And we're looking at one implication with that. Again, the decision is that Will you accept what Jesus has given you or not? To build upon this a bit and our decision in it, which is really quite simple once we have the truth, I'm going to highlight it in the book of Jonah, one of the minor prophets here towards the end of the Old Testament. And it's Jonah chapter 2, verse 8. And what Jonah says in this verse is that the people who go and look to worthless idols for their help forfeit the grace or mercy that could be theirs. What he's saying here is that if you choose anything else to trust in, to hope in, to believe in, in place of God, it's become your idol. And when you cling to these idols, no matter what it is or who it is, as long as it's not God, it becomes an idol. They can't save you. It can't save you. And if you cling to those things, you're forfeiting the grace and mercy that could be yours. God is giving you the choice. And Titus, again, he's made this grace appear to all men But by turning to other people and other things for your hope and trust, you're saying to God, I don't want that mercy that you offer. The one judge and lawgiver, I'm saying no to the mercy you extend, which is very serious. And expanding upon that, we look at the words of Jesus in John chapter 3, particularly verses 17 and 18. And it says this, after the famous John 3, 16, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And the main implications here is that this mercy, this salvation, is free and has been offered through Jesus. God already gave his side of the equation, gave Jesus to die in our place that we could be saved. And he's saying here, you don't have to wait to this day of judgment, that, this day of judgment that permeates movies and pop culture and books, even things that are secular, this day of judgment. 
you don't have to wait to that day to know what the decision will be, to know what the outcome will be. When you believe in Jesus and accept him, you are saved. If you don't believe, you are still in your position of condemnation already. You stand in your sin, you've fallen short due to the choices you've made and the sin you were born into, honestly, the tragedy of sin that you were born into. But when you reject the free gift, cling to idols and forfeit the grace that could be yours, according to Jonah, then you already stand condemned. The day of judgment won't be a surprise or shouldn't be because you've already made your choice. But that's why we highlight the free choice of Jesus, which is the encouragement. Again, it's a warning at first that we started this lesson with, but I really want to end it with an encouragement. The one who holds mercy and judgment within his hands, he has offered Jesus a free option to choose mercy, to escape the evil that we ourselves walked into and walk into all the grace and favor that God has offered us. So the judge is a very just judge. So again, you've just discovered God exists. He's judge and ruler. He's created this law you've fallen short of. But the amazing news is, the elation is that he's extended mercy to you. He himself has done the work to make a way that you may freely rejoice on the day of judgment. It will be a day of reward for you, not a day of punishment, because you've chosen God's free gift of mercy. I mean, I would think what a sigh of relief I would have, and I do have, knowing that the one God who is true and who does exist is one that is merciful. Even though he has to bring evil to an end by executing judgment and justice, that he's made a way for anyone, not by their own accord or qualifications, but by what he's done to escape all of that. The one who has the control of both has offered us mercy first. And as our last verse here to look at, it's in the book of James again. And this is, this is what the whole study and the thought and what my learning on this subject came out of was this verse here in James 2, 12, and 13. And again, the last verse we'll be looking at in this lesson. So I appreciate you listening. James 2, 12, and 13 says this, Speak and act as those who will be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That is the biggest piece right there. And without going too far into it, because I don't want to complicate it, because it's simple enough right there, mercy triumphs over judgment. Understand this, that here's God who cannot change. He is who he is, and his law reflects that. His judgment reflects that. He has, I picture it this way, there's God standing there. He has mercy in one hand and judgment in the other. Both are within his control. He's exercising both, using both. But he himself has decided that in this time, mercy is the greater of the two. He's purposed both mercy and judgment within himself, but he says, no, mercy is the greater of the two. I picture it this way. The hand with mercy, he's extended to you. The hand with judgment, he's held back towards himself. All you have to do is reach out and take. Freely accept the mercy because he's done the work to bring it to you. You really have to work for, <laughs> honestly, work for and earn the judgment that he's held back from you during this time of grace. You have to work for that condemnation because the way of salvation has been made free. And the Bible even says the wages of sin is death. The, I, I picture it this way. The paycheck for sin is death. You have to earn that. But the gift of God is free and it's eternal life. So the hand extended is with one with mercy. The hand withheld from you is the one with judgment. So he's making some of the decision for you. He's making it very clear, the judge, that he chooses mercy over judgment for you. So which one are you going to choose for yourself? As it was said back in the days of Moses to the Israelites when the law of God was communicated to them, he laid before them two options, obedience and disobedience. 
blessing and curses, life and death. Black and white, straightforward. And it says there in the Bible, Moses says to the people by the command of God, choose life that you and your descendants may live. So that's the thought I leave you with here about the judge who is the one true God choosing mercy. And he wants you to choose that option too. He encourages you even to choose life that you and your descendants may live. So I hope this was encouraging to you and enlightening with some new material on who God is. I appreciate you again for listening and studying, and I look forward to studying with you again very soon.